Psalm 120, a song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying tongues and from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more beside, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I live in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And this is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, so I didn't actually tell Pete this, but I'm actually not a fan of Psalms. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there anyone here who finds the Psalms irritating and that people are like, <laughs> okay, there are. Basically, there's, it's just a bunch of whinges, don't you feel, in Psalms? They just whinge, 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 want revenge, all that sort of stuff. Is that how you read it? Nah, <laughs> I actually had to repent of this a few years ago because we had this minister who loved the Psalms and she'd be always recommending a different Psalm. And I go, like, what is it about the Psalms that people love? Anyway, basically <laughs> what I worked out is that actually Psalms is like a prayer coach. It's helping you, coaching you on how to pray well to acknowledge your feelings. And I realized, oh gosh, maybe I don't actually acknowledge my feelings that much. <laughs> Grow up on a farm and you just get on with things is basically how you meant to do. And it, yeah, it helps you to have the words and it really tries to identify with all the different sorts of uh, feelings and situations that people have. So <clears throat> um, yeah, I've definitely enjoyed them a lot more. And in fact, when COVID hit, I said to a group of people from church, let's meet every morning and let's go through the Psalms. Like it's a pretty tough time. Everyone was shocked that I suggested that. <laughs> I went, let's do it. So <clears throat> what's going on in this Psalms? I presume Pete's already talked about what the Psalm of Ascent is about. But what we see in this Psalm is the Psalmist is distressed. Um, and then he acknowledges that God saved him almost straight away, and then he explains the situation a little bit. Uh, then it's like he sees God's vengefulness. Is that a word? Is vengeful against the people in the situation. And then the psalmist goes on and explains why he's distressed, basically. So, yeah, what do we make of this, <laughs> I guess? <clears throat> and the really great thing about doing psalms is you basically start off the preparation for a sermon and go, what the heck does this mean? <laughs> and as you research into it, you just go, okay, right, this is fun. All right, so the main big difference with this psalm than other psalms is that he acknowledges almost straight away that God has helped him. Whereas normally in a psalm, you have a, a psalmist crying out for help and then they have the situation and then at the end, they recognize what God's done. But straight away, he's in distress and he says, and he answers me. And
And basically, the, the psalmist goes on and gives us language around being distressed and why you can be um, distressed. Uh, then he goes on in verse 2 and he says why he was dis- distressed. He goes, save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. So basically, he's in a situation where he's being accused wrongly. People are lying about him or the people or group that he's with. And he, that, yeah, they're being deceptive. And really what the psalmist wants is for their downfall, basically, um, for just the wicked way that they've been treating him. Um, and so in verse 3 and 4, he goes, What will he do to you and what more besides you, you deceitful tongue? He'll punish you with warriors' sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. So they actually knew what that meant. And it took me a little while to work out, what does this mean? (laughs) So basically a broom bush, um, when it was burning, it kept its heat really well. So what they used to do was they used to grab, not with their hands, but um, with a shovel or something, and put it at the start of an arrow. And then they would shoot, um, they'd put it, wind it on the arrow tip and then they would shoot the arrow up and over the the wall of a city and basically heaps of people would be doing that and basically you would burn the city from the inside because on the outside it was made of stone on the inside wood and things like that so that's how you would seek revenge I guess on a city so something's happened in that God's allowed that to happen So then, um, yeah, he really does want revenge on these people. And he then goes on the specifics, I guess, about how it's come to this. And in verse 5, 6, and 7, he talks about how, you know, he dwells in Meshech. I live among the tents of Kedar. And, yeah, that he's wanting peace, they're wanting war, that sort of stuff. So what he's saying is he's actually... Um, an alien living, or well, he's he's living in a foreign land, and he's a Jew trying to live it out, and basically things are set against him and his people. <clears throat> so he's really living with people who have very different beliefs and view- values, and although he wants to coexist, they are really heaping it on him and giving him lots of strife. So I guess for this psalm, we need to think about, well, when are the times when we're distressed? When when are the times that you're really distressed or even just that underlying low-level stress? Do you know those moments? It's just going on in the back of your head. And I thought what I'd do is I'd give you two situations that have happened for me and Um, we'll we'll look at how the psalm then applies those situations. One of the stories some of you actually heard, I think. So because I worked actually as an evangelist at Melbourne Uni, I think one of the low-level stresses for me was our reputation as Christians. So in our society and just the deceitfulness of how Christians are portrayed and just how it's not really accurate Um, Some of it's accurate, but some of it's not. Um, So I've put them into three stages of our reputation as Christians. So one, I'm 54. So when I was in 
school, um, basically Christians had a good reputation. So if you're a good person, you went to church. Can you see uh, that? That's actually the wrong way around. <laughs> and it basically was a little bit stressful because people would come to church, but they weren't really Christians, but they came to church because they thought they were good people and that they were Christians. And that's where basically a lot of the hypocrisy came about. So there was just all these people who were hypocritical. And in fact, I was talking with a friend in high school and like we weren't close. She was in the cool group and I was in the second lower one. <laughs> and um, she was going, oh, I'm a Christian. And I went, what? Like internally I'm going, that's not right. Anyway, and I said, ah, oh, like, what makes you think you're a Christian? And she goes, oh, I'm a good person. And I got baptised as a kid. And I'm going, oh, gosh, that low-level stress of going, you have been totally deceived about this. Not that I said that, but what I said was actually, my understanding of a Christian is that you actually have a, you want a relationship with God and you want to live for him. And she goes, what? I didn't know that. She goes, I, th I definitely thought I was a Christian. I had never heard anything about this. And I'm going, seriously, it's so annoying <laughs> that you've been deceived in this way. Can you see that? All right. Then we had the next phase in terms of our reputation as Christians was the, it was when my kids were going through primary school and I actually taught RE. Can you believe that? So basically people thought it was a good thing to teach your kids about religion because then you would get good values. And actually, you needed to hear the history of how we've come to be a bit of a Christian nation. Do you remember those years? Yeah. Oh, you're all too young to remember that first stage. <laughs> so the next phase was really about values. And people would send their kids off to Anglican schools so that you would get your values there. <clears throat> and this wasn't right either, was it? Actually, what? Chris, that's not what we are on about as Christians. We don't decide, oh, I want to become a Christian because I want good values. Actually, we, want, we come, become Christians because we realize how bad we are and how actually we need Jesus. And actually, it's Jesus' death on the cross that allows us a relationship with God. So that was the third stage. Guess what? Oh, that was the second stage. Have a guess what the third stage is. This is where you're up to now. What's our reputation as religion? Maybe it's not in Kensington, but in Greensboro, religion is evil. So <coughs> maybe you're, you've totally won the whole of Kensington over and people don't think like this, but basically <laughs> um, it was interesting actually at uni seeing the shift so do you guys remember Richard Dawkins Yep, wrote a book called The God Delusion? Who read it? No? Yeah? Ah, yeah. So <clears throat> I read it when it first came out because everyone was sort of reading it. And the whole way through reading it, I went, if I wasn't a Christian, I would think this was true. And what he did was he basically grabbed onto some truth about what the Christian faith was but didn't either quite understand the rest um, or he purposely deceived. 
And basically, I you could see a shift in terms of people understanding Christianity to not just be about good being a good person. It was actually about this was an evil thing. And then we've had other things that have contributed to that over time. So now, like my kids when they were through, coming through high school, they were on the end or right, well, right in the middle actually of <clears throat> they would say probably one person a week would come up and say something negative about Christianity and actually having to work out how do I respond to that. And I think um, the, the New Atheist Movement really distressed me <laughs> quite a bit. I don't know if it did for you, but it just felt like the shift really happened for Christianity to be a positive thing in our society to now actually being a destructive thing. And um, I don't think we prepared well enough. And in fact, I think we're still a bit behind. Um, and in fact, um, I had a friend who, I think I mentioned this in the um, training, but I actually had a friend who said, I don't want to be a, a friend anymore because you believe in something so evil. <coughs> um, so we'd been friends for 10 years. She just completely got dumped. <laughs> it was actually very hurtful. <laughs> and I just went, oh, well, like, what can I do about that? <coughs> but we know that actually Christianity... Um, is based on Jesus who ended up being accused wrongly and he died on the cross so that we could be accused rightly. Um, and he allowed us to be able to um, have a relationship with God because of his death on the cross. And Jesus, when he came, he was meant to be a, you know, a Jew. He was, or he was a Jew and the Jews were meant to know who he was and to embrace him and to see him as the Messiah. And he was completely rejected by them, so much so that they, yeah, ended up um, getting him on the cross and killing him. So what I'm trying to say out of this is Jesus gets the feelings of um, the deceit <laughs> that is... Um, portrayed and the distress that we can feel uh, when we've been lied about or deceived or that yeah it's being deceived about us but in reality so in this psalm in reality we're meant to look to God and go okay God's can save us but when we're looking at this situation has he saved us from this well actually no I guess um but actually, it's God's reputation that's being um, his, yeah, is being lied about. Um, but actually, when we're accused wrongly or when we're in distress, is it God who we look to when that happens? So, I think though, and this is pretty well just a confession, but I think <laughs> we try and justify things. We try and blame other people. Um, sometimes we just can't sleep. Like if I've had things said against me, I actually just can't sleep all night. I'm like churning over what was said. Why did they say that? And yeah, trying to work all that. Do I actually really look to God in this situation? 
Or some people actually do seek revenge. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm at uni, but you do get a lot of confession. But a guy who had been dumped by his Christian girlfriend, uh, he was just so um, taken aback by being dumped that he just became revengeful about, and she started saying things I think unfairly about him as well. So he sort of got a bad reputation and he just ended up losing it a bit and stalking her and we ended up having to, you know, the police were called, like it just went a bit crazy. So where was he looking to in a time of real distress? He actually looked to get revenge and to look at to solve it himself. So what this psalmist is saying is, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. So can you pray this when you're distressed? And he goes on and he keeps talking about the situation. He talks to God. He doesn't talk to other people. Well, he may, but this is not what this psalm is teaching us. Um, He keeps on talking to God about the situation. And um, it's like this, yeah, cathartic sort of thing. And he gives, keeps giving it to God. And the great thing is that Jesus does know, he understands, and he's been there before us. Okay, so here we have this first example of it doesn't quite work out exactly how. He doesn't, we, we in our society haven't been saved, but we will at some point, won't we? All right, here's another example. Um, and some of you have heard this before, but a single mum with three boys came to our church, uh, came to our playgroup, and she became a Christian and was really involved in our church. And as her kids got to high school, our kids went to the same high school. She just sort of stopped, slowly stopped coming to church, and I ended up just meet, catching up with her and said, "Oh, what's going on for you?" And she goes, "It's just so hard to get." teenage boys to church and I was sort of listening and then she said and I just don't really agree with the church's stance on so many things and she said I don't know why I didn't sort this out before I became a Christian and I'm actually quite annoyed about a whole lot of things and I'm going oh okay um anyway she stopped coming to church and you know that distressed feeling you feel when people stop becoming Christians and or being Christians and there's a sadness in that isn't there and yeah you feel slightly I felt slightly distressed in terms of where she was up to and I just kept on saying to God I can't do this as in I'm good at answering people's questions this was my job and I still couldn't convince her that actually how good and gracious our God is and I just went man if I can't convince her it's actually it does need to be you <laughs> that sounds very up myself but <laughs> I was I was trained in this anyway um and I was just going okay God I'm actually not going to be worried about this I'm actually really gonna leave you with yeah I can't do much I'll just keep meeting with her I won't give up but I'll keep talking things through but I I can't make her come back to you Anyway, she started dating a non-Christian guy. He was lovely. We went to their wedding. 
he had three boys as well, so there's six boys in the house. Um, they sort of grew up and started leaving home, and the two youngest have just done year 12. But last year, um, we went for a walk during COVID, and she straight up said, we'd done a few walks, <coughs> she said, oh, my husband's youngest son has got given a Bible and he's got all these questions about Christianity and, yeah, I want to, I don't know what to do because I, I, I just don't know what I think myself. And she said, could you meet with him? And I just went, oh, I could do Alpha with him. And I went, maybe I should do it with him and his girlfriend. So I said, look, you know, would his girlfriend want to do this? So yeah, she eventually came back and said, yes, yep, both the, these two want to do it. So I went, we'll do it online. And then I went, do you know what? I'm going to ask her and her husband to see if they'll come. Anyway, they took three days to get back to me. That was when I was a bit distressed. <laughs> I was going, waiting for the answer. And she said, guess what? We're going to do it as well. And then I went, gosh, I'm on a roll here. I'm going to ask every, all the boys and all their girlfriends <laughs> to do it with me. That's 14 people online doing Alpha. Anyway, none of them said yes. So I had four that were doing it. <laughs> you thought this was going to be an amazing story. <laughs> it's a half amazing story. And actually, um, at the end of Alpha, Anne-Marie recommitted. Her husband, Andrew came to faith, the son became a Christian, and the girlfriend recommitted. And I'm just going, wow, God, in my distress, you saved them. In my distress, you saved them. So I guess this psalm is, we can say to God, I'm distressed. I'm going to tell you how I'm feeling, but actually, you've got this. I don't know what the really, maybe it's low level distressed, maybe it's high level distressed, but I wonder how you're going with that. And can you say to God, you've got this? Whether you can see the answer now or not, can you say to God, you've got this? Amen.